People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Try our chicken rolled food as a meal or shred it as a topper. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Coco Express, part of the Blog Talk Radio Network. Your host on the Coco Express is Aurelia Lyles. She's all about keeping it real. Great guests, interesting topics. So get on board. Listen, learn, live. Good evening and welcome to the Cocoa Express Show Network. I will be hosting tonight and joining me will be Brian Motley. Brian Motley is a multi-talented artist from Los Angeles and he is a singer, songwriter, filmmaker, lecturer, author, and photographer. And he has accomplished so much and has so many different talents that you know, it just boggles my mind how he's able to kind of keep all of this in one person and let it all out. But we are grateful for this type of talent and this type of artistry and his willingness to share it with us all. And he has written a book. Well, really, it's not really, it's a love letter, so to speak. It's embracing Cuba. And it's a book and the pictures are so vivid it draws you in and you just become a part of what it is the story he's trying to tell about the place that he loves the most and as opposed to me spending all this time trying to tell you I would better I would be better served by letting him allow you the opportunity to hear from his words so please allow me the opportunity to bring to you Mr. Brian Motley. Good evening. Good evening. How are you? I am doing well. And as I said before, thank you for joining us. And I have to tell you, I am kind of impressed by all of the stuff that you're able to do. You know, I understand that, you know, we're called to do um, certain things in our lifetime, but you've been called to do many things in your lifetime, and you're not done yet. So give us a little background of who you are and where you began and how you came to the point where you are with this book. Well, uh, I live in Los Angeles, California, and I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, I've always had a fascination with travel and uh, going places, seeing things, learning new things, experiencing different cultures. And uh, my parents had actually gone to Cuba back in the late 1950s, and uh, so I grew up hearing their stories about Cuba and how much they loved it, and uh, and knowing there was an embargo in place, I thought, well, I can never go to that place. I can never get there. But 10 years ago, I found out that there was a way to go legally, and so I started going 10 years ago and have returned to the island time and time again uh, over that 10-year period. Uh, I'm also a singer. 
And uh, so I've actually performed in Havana at the Havana Jazz Festival several years ago and um, parlayed that experience into my love of photography and uh, my love of photography. Um, and doing photographs in Cuba has led to this book called Embracing Cuba. Now, Cuba, to many of us here in the United States, has been a mystery to us. And by you going over and taking all these amazing photographs, it opens up a world to us that we don't really understand and know. So tell us a little bit about the things, the misconceptions that we may have about Cuba that you know are not true. Oh, I think the main misconception is that Cuba is a dangerous place and that the people are anti-American. And that is a complete, complete myth. Uh, it's the exact opposite. Cuba is probably the safest country, if not on the planet, certainly in the Western Hemisphere. Um, also, the people embrace Americans, and they, and they love Americans and, the, and American culture. And uh, so I was prepared for... My, my first trip, I was prepared to you know, have to defend myself and defend America and that sort of thing, and it was the exact opposite. They just embraced me from the beginning, and it was quite interesting. When I, I, every time I go, um, people, if they don't know me, they want to know, well, where, where are you from? And they'll guess if I'm from the, one of the islands or England or Africa or some other country. And when I tell, mm-hmm. them I'm from, tell them I'm from the United States, they just, they grab me and they hug me and it's, oh, the I love the Americans, I love the United States, and you are my brother, you are my friend. And if that's happened to me one time that I've been in Cuba, that's happened to me at least a hundred times, just walking down the street meeting strangers and they find out you're from America. They're very, very excited about it. So I think the misconception, like I said, the main misconception is that um, we aren't liked over there, and it's the, the exact opposite. We're respected and we're loved by the Cuban people. Now, as far as their culture is concerned, it's like, it's from, from my perspective and from what I see, it's like time has stood still in Cuba. And when we look at it, we, we're, from the American perspective, we're looking at a time that I guess for us seems so lost and long gone. And I personally would long for that particular time to return again. Is that the case there where time has kind of stood still in Cuba? Uh, true to some degree in that, that there are the old American cars that are a dime a dozen there uh, in that some of the buildings and the infrastructures are, uh, eroding and decaying, and they have the patina um, uh, paint that's falling off of them. So in that in that way, yes. But in other ways, uh, Cuba is just as advanced as the uh, United States is in other countries, and maybe more so in some other ways. The thing that's most wonderful about Cuba and the Cuban people is that they really believe in community and family, and that's a very big element there. I mean, they just they embrace life in each other. And uh, they may not have much as far as uh, material goods are concerned or material wealth, but what they lack in, lack in that, they certainly make up for in so many other ways that uh, we in this country could really learn a lot from. 
because they just know how to embrace life and have a good time and a little bit of nothing and a whole lot of love and, and fun and respect and appreciation for each other in life. That is amazing, and that's one of the things that I kind of got from um, the video that I saw that you had shot. Now, how long did it take for you to make this particular book? Uh, this book was a two-year process, and uh, within that time, that gave me a chance, a chance to go through my over 100,000 photographs I've taken in my uh, wow. 10 years, eight journeys to Cuba, and it also gave me a chance to write all the text for the book as well. There are eight chapters um, in the book, and each chapter is, is dedicated to a specific um, part of people, like the people, the dogs, uh, the architecture, the classic cars, the music, arts, dance, the politics. So each chapter has a uh, text that introduces the photographs of that particular chapter. And there's something about Cuba that they embrace and and they are really strong fans of that you are also a strong fan of, and that's baseball. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. I love attending baseball games in Cuba, especially in Havana when they're playing against their their biggest rival, which is another province team called uh, Santiago de Cuba. Um, at that game, it's just wild. I mean, the second you are walking up to the stadium, you hear the bands inside playing music, and it goes nonstop the entire game. And uh, the fans are dancing in the aisles. They're doing the conga. They're doing the rumba. Um, they're, they're yelling at the opposing team. It's just one great big party, and it's just amazing. And some good ball players. That's some good ball playing. Some really good talented ball players and uh, spirited. The, the games are very spirited and, and fun, and uh, it's an amazing, amazing experience to to be a part of that and to witness that. Okay. Now, tell me about the food because I'm a foodie, so I've, I'm always interested in what the food is like in different places. Yeah, well, the food in Cuba has come a long way in the ten years I've been going there. When I first started going, it was just kind of basic. You get your, you know, your chicken, rice beans, pork, uh, salad with every meal. Uh, occasionally you get some nice seafood, lobsters, which are delicious. And over the last five to six years, I've noticed more restaurants popping up that are not the state-owned restaurants or more individually owned now. So they have the, the chefs are taking um, taking chances with different, different, different styles of food now. So it's really come a long way. I mean, it's just, it's no different now than going and eating, eating out in, in Los Angeles or Paris or, or, or New York. I mean, you find all different types of cuisine that are just absolutely delicious. And uh, so the cuisine there has come a long way over the last five or six years. And it's the freshest seafood. If you're a seafood lover, it's the freshest seafood you could ever, ever taste. And I also love uh, the, the vegetables and the and the fruit there because it's, everything is organic. So you bite into a, let's say you bite into a, a banana or a, uh, a mango, and you think, oh, my God, this is supposed to taste like? <laughs> because everything's organic. Even, okay. even the food you buy at like the high-end Whole Foods or Bristol Farms does not compare to the, the, um, the, the vegetables and the fruit that they grow in Cuba. It has a different quality of flavor to them because it's, it's completely organic. So it's it's quite delicious, quite delicious. And being that we're now able to, well, we have limited tr- 
travel, we can, you know, that we can go there now. Um, do you see or foresee any major changes? Do you foresee them making like really major changes that would change that whole dynamic in any way? Well, that remains to be seen. You know, um, the embargo has not been lifted yet completely. Cuba mm-hmm. has to be likely that probably won't pass, but you know, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But um, so you know, there are certain ways you can travel. They're a lot easier now um, through different steps that the, the government has set up for for Americans to travel there. So it's, it's not completely open yet. But um, it's, it really remains, remains to be seen what, what changes are going to happen there. Um, hopefully it's not going to become little Miami. <laughs> I don't foresee that happening. I don't foresee that happening. Matter of fact, I read an article today where someone quoted that Cubans do not want McDonald's. And I don't think they do. So um, hopefully that's what in the future will ever happen. But, um, what is that? As a crystal ball, it's really hard to, to know what's going to happen in the future. But, you know, the Cubans are cautiously optimistic about the Americans now coming there, and mm-hmm. their main concern um, about Americans coming there are uh, the elements of Americans bringing in drugs and violence. Mm-hmm. And that's a sad thing about our, our country. That is, yes, it is a sad commentary for that's, us. I'm sorry. I, I said that's a sad commentary for us. I mean, oh yeah, absolutely, and that's their main concern. Because now in Cuba, I mean, if you if you really search for it, I guess you can find marijuana or cocaine if you really, really, really search for it. But it's not drugs are not prevalent there at all, and neither is crime. Uh, you have to be you know mindful of where you are and what you're doing, and uh, but for the most part, the crime is very, very low. Um, in the last couple of years, I've heard of more incidences of petty crimes of people snatching uh, jewelry off of people or grabbing women's purses or something like that. But it's still very, very, very small for that to happen. And, and that's only be- become more since the Cubans have become more aware of the American culture. Years mm-hmm. ago, when, when they were completely blocked off, they didn't have any idea of you know, what was happening in America. But when they got a little bit more taste of what Know, oh, I can have this, I can have that, I can have this, then the crime started to rise a little bit more. But um, it's still it's still a very, very safe country. Matter of fact, if a Cuban is to harm a, a tourist from a foreign country, um, the, the, uh, the penalties are very, very stiff. So the government there is not playing around. Because they, they depend on the tourism for their dollars, their, for, for their economy. So mm-hmm. they don't they want to that the tourists are safe and taken care of and, and have no problems when they're there. So so that's one of the reasons why the crime is, is, a, is very low there also. Now and tell me about police, your... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, there's a, a, a pretty good police presence in all the tourist area where tourists are, so that's another reason why uh, crime is low in those areas as well. Now tell me something about the... the how it affected you from the first time you're going up until now? How has it changed you as a person? How has it changed your perspective on life in general, having had the opportunity to go to Cuba as often as you have? Oh, it's just enhanced my life greatly. Um, it's made all the difference in the world of my life. 
I wouldn't say that it's changed my life so much, but it certainly has enhanced it. Um, mm-hmm. Just the, the the friends I've made there, um, what mental barriers I had about Cuba for you know my entire life, just came tumbling down within the first day I was there because I was like, I've been lied to all these years. <laughs> You've been lied to. These people are amazing. They're wonderful. So uh, that that's been the biggest um, thing for me is just that the way it's enhanced, enhanced my life uh, completely, totally. Great. That, I mean, to see the, the, the colors, uh, the, the colors are so beautiful, and the beaches, they're white, sandy beaches, correct? And yeah, some areas have, some, some areas have the white sand, and uh, some are the regular brown sand, but the beaches are absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And uh, in a town called Trinidad, which is about four hours east of Havana, it's um, one of the oldest towns in Cuba, beautiful colonial town. Um, sometimes there's barely anybody even on the beaches. So you practically, practically have a whole beach to yourself. <laughs> wow. It's amazing. Yeah, I hope that doesn't change. I hope that doesn't change. But um, the beaches are not overcrowded and overrun with people. Um, which is one of the beauties of it also. So you get some time to just kind of be to yourself and and, and enjoy. So it's really, really incredible. I I understand that they're doing some major construction there now with building up, um, you know, hotels um, to accommodate the prospects of tourists coming to their country. Sure, sure. Because they don't have the the, the infrastructure for for tour for you know a plethora of people to start coming there. So yeah, they're they're building some new hotels. I've noticed, and they've opened up. People can rent out their rooms in their in their private homes through uh, Airbnb now. Actually, you can rent through that. And um, yeah, so they're they're trying to get ready for the for for the invasion. I guess you could say. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes the Americans. Well, it's going to be more than... Yeah. Um, But other countries have been allowed to go to... have had access to Cuba. We have just not had access to get to Cuba unless we went around about a different way, correct? No, that's incorrect. Um, There have been charters flying directly from Miami for years, probably for 30, 40 years, a long time. Um, but you've had to have specific license, and you still need a sp- specific license to get on those flights. Um, now there's more flights that are flying from Miami, uh, more than mm-hmm. there used to be. There's flights also from Tampa, New York, certain days of the week. Uh, I think uh, Los Angeles is starting up flights also. I believe Houston, Oakland. So there's several different hubs around the states now that are flying directly to Miami. But again, those are charters. And you have to have specific licenses to travel on those flights. I mean, you still go through Mexico or Canada, and that's still sneaking in. I would not advise that. Mm-hmm. I just would not, because you just don't want to be the person caught um, getting your passport stamped in Cuba and coming back to America. Well, what were you doing in Cuba? Well, I was there on vacation. Well, you're not supposed to be there on vacation. <laughs> and you can be fined up to $250,000 if the government really wants to get you. So I would not recommend just hopping a flight from. Mexico or Canada to uh, Havana. I would go about it the legal way. Okay, okay. That makes sense, and $200,000 is a lot of money. <laughs> That's a lot of money. That's a 
lot of money. Yes, it is. Now, you have other projects that you're working on in addition to this amazing thing that you've done. So what are are the other projects you're working on now? Well, I'm working on a documentary about the Negro Baseball Leagues. Um, My father actually is the last living umpire from the Negro Baseball Leagues. and so. Yeah, yeah. So I'm working on a project to honor him and all the great players he saw umpiring for the 11 years that he was in the leagues. And uh, I'm also working on a feature film. Um, the Penny Marshall is is um, attached to direct and produce. Penny Marshall produced such films, A League of Their Own, and Big, and Cinderella Man, and uh, The Preacher's Wife. And so she signed them to produce and direct this film that I co-wrote about Effa Manley who is, ironically, is another Negro League story, and she's the first woman ever to own and run a professional sports team, and that was in the Negro Leagues. So a very interesting story about her life. It's a biopic um, that's a very powerful story about this woman who was in a man's world, and she also kept her ethnicity a secret throughout her life. She was actually a white woman who passed as black. Interesting. Yes. yes, you heard me right. She passed the other <laughs> way. And, and uh, so it's a very compelling story, to say the least. Wow. I, well, that's something that I would love to see because, you know, and it, it kind of falls in line with what we've experienced with the this other woman recently, Rachel Dolezal or whatever her name. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Where Ethel came from a... Uh, biracial family. Her mother was white, and her, mar- her mother had married two black men in the 1800s. And then she had Effa in between those two marriages with a Wall Street businessman. So Effa was black, just be- felt black because she was in the black community her entire life. So it's a little different mm-hmm. than Rachel. Because she, uh, as she said in her own words, I've been, been around black people my entire life. That's all I've ever known. Mm-hmm. So that's why she, she identified, identified with being black. Because uh, all of her, her siblings were half, you know, half and half, mulatto, whatever you want to call, call mm-hmm. them. And so she just felt more of an identity with the black community. So wow. So very interesting and very interesting life that she led. Wow. I, oh, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, and basically became the first lady of the Negro League. So powerful woman. That is the so when would when will this project? When do you think this project will be done and and released to the general public? Well, we're hoping to yeah, we're hoping to go into production sometime next year. So let's keep our fingers crossed, and uh, we're working hard to try to make that happen. Where do you get all of your inspiration from for all the things that you do? Um, just from loving what I do, and just uh, trying to be creative, and just trying to have fun. You know, I don't. I don't really think about where where it comes from, but I just, if I think of something I can do or want to do, I say, well, why not give it a shot? You know, what's what's to hold you back from at least trying? Well, if you don't try, go off and try try to make something. Okay. I just try to just have fun doing what I'm doing, and just uh, I might be a little nuts for doing <laughs> budding <laughs> uh, projects. But, you know, I put time doing it, so keeps me motivated and. and Keeps life interesting, to say the least. And the, um, this is not your first book that you've you've worked on, correct? Correct. Yeah, the first book is my 
father's memoir that I co-wrote with him. Um, it's called Ruling Over Monarchs, Giants, and Stars, and it's basically his, his uh, life story of growing up in the segregated South and becoming one of the first black Marines in our country. It's uh, part of a group called Monarch Point Marines, which he got a Congressional Gold Medal for um, in 2013, I believe it was, uh, from the government. And then his journey, finding the love of umpiring and making his way to the Negro Leagues and spending 11 years in that league umpiring and then trying to make it to the major leagues, but the majors weren't, were not ready to take a black umpire at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy didn't try for years, but um, yeah, it's a great book about his, his life and all that he went through. And um, it's funny, it's engaging, it's um, heart-wrenching, so some really, really great stories in, in his life as well. Now, what was it like growing up in that kind of environment? It must have been so interesting. Yeah, well, you know, when you grow up in, in an environment like that, you kind of take it for granted, you know, because, you know, my father would you know, go down memory lane and talk about World War II, and, you know, we'd laugh at the stories, and he'd talk about you know, some of the outrageous ball players in the Negro Leagues, and we'd laugh. And But it's like, okay, so that was just his life, and it wasn't really a big deal. It's just like that just was part of the stories I grew up hearing. And um, but when you get a little bit older and you realize, wait a minute, this is his, this is history. This is just no fly-by-night stuff. This is like some serious stuff this man lived through. Mm-hmm. And then you really get to you know appreciate it more. You appreciate him more than everything he went through. And so you know, just one day I said, you know, we need to write a book and put put this down so people know what what you did. And you know, he's like, what? I've never even read a book. <laughs> you know, so he's old school. He's from the south, but. Didn't have much of a much of a, much of an edu- education, so he didn't know what you know writing a, a book would entail. But I convinced him to do it, and um, we got together and penned it, and it, it uh, turned out quite quite well. Oh, excellent, excellent. Now, what would you say to our young folk? Because you have like pockets of generations of young folks who are extremely creative and brilliant, and then you have a a, a pocket of them that need motivation and need someone to push them. What advice would you give to each of those groups? Oh, just keep going forward and, and never give up. Never give up and never take no for an answer and just keep moving forward and believe in yourself and believe in your dreams and just make it happen. Just keep keep marching forward. No 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 need to go backwards. Keep going forward. That's, that's excellent. That's, that's, that's that is that well, that is excellent, excellent okay. advice. Now, where can people find your book, um, Embracing Cuba? Where can they find the book? Okay, it's, it's available wherever books are sold. Um, mm-hmm. It includes uh, bookstores in your area or Barnes & Noble. It's also on the Internet. You can find it at Amazon.com or through the publisher's website, which is uh, University Press of Florida. So it's wherever you can find the book, you can find it there. And if the bookstore doesn't have it in your area, you can certainly have them order it and um, they can get it. So the book is the book is out there wherever wherever books are sold. Great. Now how can people keep tabs on you and fi- you know, follow you and find out what other things you're involved in? Okay, through my website, which is byronmotley.com. I also have a Facebook page for the book Embracing Cuba, so you can like that on Facebook, and uh, those are probably the best places to find me. Also, there's Twitter and 
guess I'm, I'm out there out there in the internet world, so I'm not hard to find. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good or bad thing sometimes. <laughs> oh, I agree with you on that one. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, I, I have to tell you that you know I'm gonna put up, I'm gonna put the link to the video up on my Facebook page, so that people can see that, so they can really get a better understanding of what we were, you know, discussing here this evening, because. I mean, the pictures were so amazing, and the faces of the individuals, you know, we live in a um, a society of, you know, if it's broke, we can fix it and make it look right. like it shouldn't look. <laughs> like, you have right. a woman who's right. 60, that, you know, she looks like she's 40 because she went and got all this stuff done. But the faces of the people that you show in your book, they are completely natural and authentic and that makes them so much more in, warm and, and, and it makes you want to embrace them because of that naturalness in them. Oh, that's very nice to say. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right about how they, you see some, especially the, some of the older people, you just want to just give them a big hug. You know, it's like a, your grandmother or grandfather and it's like, oh, you just want to just hug on them all day. So, <laughs> Yeah, they, they, and they wouldn't mind hugging you back either. That's just who they are. They're just just like that. I, 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 one of the things I like to do when I'm there is like walking down the street taking photos. If I hear a party going on in someone's house, mm-hmm. and if the door's open, I walk right in, and they wow. don't mind. They start pouring rum for me. They offer me food. I'm part of the family. I'm part of the fun. It's incredible. I mean, you try that here in the United States, you're gonna get your head blown off. <laughs> <laughs> in Cuba, <laughs> you know what I mean. But in Cuba, you know, you just walk in and they're like, hey, hey, hi, hi. And, you know, the party's done. So, you know, I love that about them. They're just open. I hope that never changes. I hope I hope that doesn't change. So, but we'll see I hope so, too. The next yeah. decade will bring. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yes, indeed. Now, I have one other um, um, question I want to ask. Do you find, you know, you have southern roots. Do you find that that southern hospitality is is something that you connected with somewhat in Cuba? I think so. I think so. I, I never thought about it in that way, but I think you're probably right about that. Absolutely. And then you know, I, I love the mix of people that are there. You have you know, your black Cubans, you have your white Cubans, you have your in-between Cubans, and they're all one. They don't mm-hmm. refer to each other as black or white. They are just Cubans. Mm-hmm. And you sense of that there. Um, and you see black and white couples, you see uh, blacks and whites who are friends just hanging out. You just, just, it's just a natural existence for them there. And um, it, it, it's different than it is in, in the United States. There's, in the United States, there, there's racism that's like present in front of your face some of the time. But in Cuba, you don't really get a sense of that. It's um, they're just, they're just one. They really are one. Okay. And, um, yeah. yeah. So it's it's, it's, it's interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Existence. And that is something that I had read about. Also, you know, we have our issues here, and everybody everybody knows about our issues here. And I had also read that. That is not a concern of theirs. Therefore, it's not. You know, no, but I, I, I will say, I will say also that, and the government is aware of this. I think they're trying to fix this issue. 
that I have noticed, though, in some of the restaurants and and and, and, and hotels and things like that, the, the wait staff and the people who are out front are mostly the, the Cubans who are of lighter hue, and the mm-hmm. dark Cubans kind of behind scenes. So that's 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 something they they are working on and they are aware of, and they're trying to remedy that that problem also. But as far as um, people just in society and people in their neighborhoods and communities, um, racism really is, isn't isn't an issue there. It isn't. I, I remember a couple of years ago during the I think it was before the I think it was the Trayvon Martin case, and right before that there was when they started shooting, uh, killing more and more young black men in the streets. When people in Cuba would find out that I was from America, the first thing out of their mouth was. What's going on? With Why are they killing so many black kids in in your country? What's going on with the police? What's cool? Why don't they respect black people there? And mm. I got asked that at least a dozen times. Wow! In that country, when I was there, yeah, they just could not understand. And this and this is a question coming from both black and white Cubans. What is what's going on in your country? They just it just couldn't they just couldn't fathom that there would be a race issue like that between between um, you know, not only blacks and whites, but between the police and, and African-Americans. They, they just could not, they just could not understand it. It's really interesting to see. I don't know what's going on. You know, that's a nuttiness. But, you know, yeah, they were just mm-hmm. very disheartened by, by that. Very much and, so. that's, and that's interesting to, to see uh, another country's perspective on something of that nature, and it's really interesting. I'm sure a lot of a lot of other countries are probably saying the same thing. You know, what's up with that? We can't even figure it out. Sure. Yeah. 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 They're, they're thinking, you know, you should have been past all that. You guys should be. You got a, you got a black president. What's going on? We don't. We don't get it. What's What's up? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very, very. Not, oh wow. Well, I have to tell you, this was like one of. Uh, I really, because I've always been curious about Cuba, and so when this opportunity came, I'm like, I would love to, to, to find out more. And I'm really glad I did because, as I said earlier, you know, there's so many that go around about a lot of things, and you were able to really kind of wipe away most of them, all of them, in fact. And I'm glad we had this opportunity. Oh, well, thank you very much. I, I enjoy talking to you and hope I shed a little light on uh, my Cuba, as I call it, the country I love. It, well, you did, and we, I can I can tell how much you love and have embraced Cuba as your second home. And um, I'm sure those of, those of my listeners who go out and get the book and kind of like look at the, the um, video that I'm going to put up, they'll see your love because I also believe that when you see a photographer's pictures, you see things through their eyes. So what we're seeing Absolutely. in the book is your love for for Cuba, and it just comes out and so so bold and vibrant. Oh, I appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So I hope that we have the opportunity to have you back on the show again to talk about some of your other endeavors as, you know, time goes by. Okay. That sounds good to me. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And it was really a pleasure having you on. And like I said, 
thank you so much for this opportunity. And I want to thank Double Exposure as well for allowing it to happen. My pleasure. Okay. You have a good evening. You do the same. Okay. Bye-bye. To all my listeners, that was Byron Motley, and he has launched a new book called Embracing Cuba. And I have to explain to you how important it is for each of us to remember to follow your dreams, you know, do what you believe in in your heart. Don't let anyone sway you or try to talk you out of anything because what you do and what you share with the world can change the lives and the perspectives of so many people, and you may not even realize how important your work becomes in their lives. So this is another example of that, and I hope you have the opportunity to go out and get the book and look at the book and see all the amazing photos and pictures and the essays that he has written in this book. I'm sure that you would be so interested that you too would want to go to Cuba because I know I'm interested and I want to go. So with that, as always, be good to yourself and God bless. Have a good night. That's our show for today. So until next time, keep it real, listen, learn, and live. Big news. The new Sprint LTE Plus network is faster than Verizon and AT&T based on analysis of a recent study by Nielsen. And to celebrate, we're inviting you to join Sprint for the biggest offer in U.S. wireless history. Switch to Sprint and save 50% on most Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile rates. Yep, you heard that right. No gimmicks, no tricks. You have Verizon 6 gigs for $60, 30 with Sprint. And if you have 15 gigs for $100 from AT&T, 50 with Sprint. Even if you have T-Mobile's 10 gigs for $80, we'll give it to you for 40 And we won't force you to watch video in low def. Oh, and one more thing. We'll even pay your switching fees up to $650 per line so you can switch to the Sprint LTE Plus network today. Visit a Sprint store or Sprint.com slash save 50%. Offer coverage not available everywhere for discounted phones. Excludes taxes, surcharges, roaming, and premium content. Subject to new line $36 activation fee. Credit valid for day. Plans may not be exact match. See website for eligible plans. Offer end 1716 Exclusions and restrictions apply. Contract by audio. Reward card requires online registration. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 